This is the Endangered Species Podcast, where we find godly men and talk with them about their journey to noble manhood. This is your host, Shawnee V. I'm here with Dave Matthews and our, our special guest to be named later, who we are extremely excited about. Dave, how you doing, man? Bro, I'm doing well. I'm hot. Uh, I just moved to the Valley. If you, if you guys <laughs> don't right. know, we are coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona, and it might be fall on the calendar, but it's not fall in the air. Just put it that way. The Valley of the Sun, buddy. Yes. I am loving life here, man. Mm-hmm. It's a daily free sauna. That is that is the when Sean said, "Hey, move when you're moved to Arizona, you're gonna love the free sauna." And I can feel the toxins coming out of my body. Blow dryer right? in the face every <laughs> single day. It's good. It's good. <laughs> Dave, why is it that any time I go and speak at a Christian conference, I show up? And the audience is like 70% female. I, I'm happy that, that God is blessing the women's ministry. Sure. But I look around and I'm like, what the heck, dude? Where <laughs> are the men? Mm-hmm. Is that, has that been your experience? Oh, yeah, for sure. So grew up going to church pretty much the whole life, whether it's church or youth camp or parachurch ministry in college. Pretty much everywhere you go, it's going to be predominantly, predominantly women, predominantly girls. I've, I've come to a conclusion. Have you ever seen Planet Earth? Yes, love Planet Earth. Love Planet Earth. Yeah. Unbelievable cinematography. <laughs> it's, it's unreal uh-huh. with some of the the lengths that some of these camera men. And oh women yeah, like on the, on the edge of a cliff for three weeks or whatever, hanging for, out in one yeah. of those tents that yeah. you sleep in. It's it's exactly. unbelievable. Um, one of my favorite. First of all, favorite scene ever. The lizards. Right. The lizards, yeah, the, the, the snakes chasing they're them. Chas- yeah. the, the lizards are born and immediately yes. the run for their life. There's no, there's no, there is no better scene. If you have not seen that, you need to go search for it on YouTube. Go, yeah, go Google that. Second favorite scene ever on planet Earth is when they film the snow leopard. Mm-hmm. These guys are camping out for months trying to get a 30-second shot of the snow leopard emerging from his lair mm-hmm. to go and be the predator that he is and hunt something down on some kind of 70-degree slope. Mm-hmm. It's insane. And they make this huge deal. No one has ever gotten footage. Or it's David Attenborough. No one has ever gotten footage like this. <laughs> yeah, I love you know. it. <laughs> but but here, here's what I love the most about the snow leopard, Dave, is the snow leopard is an endangered species. Mm-hmm. When these guys finally capture footage of a snow leopard, they are fired up because... Mm-hmm. They realize that this, although it's been done before, hasn't been done very often Mm -hmm. or very much. Mm -hmm. The snow leopard is an endangered species. When I think about the species, the the creature that is the godly man, Mm -hmm. I have the same thought. That when I see a godly man, there are a few things I want to do. I want to pick up a magnifying glass and I want to hold it up to that guy and go, what is this? How was this thing created? Where did it come from? And then the second thing I want to do, I want to proliferate mm. that thing. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say, we need more of this. Mm-hmm. The church needs more of this thing that's in front of me. Yeah. Godly women need more of oh, this. Saying, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, they do, for sure. They need more godly men. This is why we call the pod the endangered mm-hmm. species, right? It is our passion to get godly men off of the endangered mm-hmm. species list. So today, I'm really excited about our guest. We're going to be spending time chatting with Brian Hommel. Brian runs a group called UPI. UPI 
uh, stands for Unlimited Potential Incorporated, which is a really cool organization that mm-hmm. works with professional baseball players. He can tell us all about it. He reaches, teaches, and trains Major League Baseball players to be godly men, to love God passionately, to serve others sacrificiously. Uh, sacrificially. Even better. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> uh, he's chaplain for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's an incredible dad. He's a mentor for many, many men. Brian Hommel, it's great to have you, bud. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, pumped you're here. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah. Absolutely. We're glad to have you on the Endangered Species Podcast. Mm -hmm. Brian, we met at the end of last year. I think it was on the golf course, wasn't it? Yeah, of course. (laughs) Is that that where we can find you? That's where we can meet up, for sure. (laughs) Brian and I have in common that we play some extremely average golf. I don't know if you'd agree with that or not. Yeah, no, I I feel a little below average, but where I lack in talent, I make up for in just relational skills. Mm. I play fast. I don't go searching for my ball. I just drop and keep moving. You're the guy that everyone wants in their group. 100%. That's a great place to be. Yeah, it feels good. Yeah, good place to be. That that is key. I could tell within about 10 minutes of playing golf with you, this is a guy I want to get more time around. By the way, you talked about your wife by the way you talked about your kids, by the way you talked about the guys that you've had a chance to mentor over the years. And even though we both played some really average golf, I could tell you're a competitor. I could tell you grew up with the itch to win playing sports, which, which I did as well. And, uh, you know, I don't know, would you agree with that? You like to be good at what you do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I was playing cards with my oldest daughter the other day, and she was beating me like a drum. And she's like, Dad, I'm really sorry. I go, it's fine, Abby. It's fine. You know? Deal again. Deal them again. Yeah. Let's play some more. One more game. It's going to turn around. What were you guys playing? Uh, two-man pluck. Okay. Yeah. I've, never, I've never even played yeah, that. Yeah, it's a baseball card game. It's oh, really gotcha. Great. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I get the sense you are passionate about the things that we are passionate about. Mm-hmm. You have a huge heart to influence guys, to mentor guys. We can't wait to hear all about that. But first, I, I thought it would be interesting if you would just tell us, what was it like for you coming up in the game? Teams that you were on, positions you played. Tell us about your career. You can go all the way back to high school if you want. Yeah. You know, uh, I moved my freshman year. I moved to Indianapolis from San Antonio, Texas, and uh, played football and baseball. But baseball was something that I was really gifted in, left-handed mm-hmm. pitcher. Mm-hmm. And uh, so – I end up playing really well. Uh, I was first team all state. Uh, I had like the triple crown my senior year uh, there. It was exciting. I got a full scholarship to play baseball at University of Louisville. And at that time, they're a powerhouse now. They weren't that good back then. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I ended up going there and playing. And then um, had some setbacks in my career, tore my ACL. Who were the pitchers you emulated or looked up to from uh, a mechanic standpoint or, you know, man, my mechanics are terrible, <laughs> but uh, I love Fernando Venezuela. I mean, I, I grew up in San Antonio where their double A team was the Dodgers. So I mm. went to those games as a kid and saw That's guys cool. like that play. So that was somebody I was a, a big fan of. So I ran into him like a couple years ago. I was like starstruck. Hello, well, Mr. Well, Fernando. What was your pitch? Uh, slider. Oh, okay. Yeah, nice. That was definitely go. my, uh, Fancy my go-to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's good stuff. So then, uh, yeah, in college, uh, come back, uh, my junior year, uh, did well, but we were on a pretty bad team. Hmm. Uh, but I ended up getting drafted in the 21st round by the Milwaukee Brewers. And it was a pretty funny story because the, the GM, Sal Bando, who played for the A's all those years, he was a GM at that time in 1994, 
there was a guy named Sid Robertson in the big leagues who was like 5'9", and he won 19 games. And so Sal's like, we need more of these guys. And so I ended up playing golf with Sal like <laughs> 10 years later. And I was, he's like, he didn't, re- he didn't know me. I didn't make it to the big leagues, but I was like, yeah, left-handed pitcher. He's like, Sid Robertson. I was like, what? He's like, yes, you're the guy. You're the reason. I was like, well, man, I'm so thankful. You know? So yeah. So that I started my career off there and, uh, I did, I did, I had a great Marley career. I tore my ACL two more times and my labor and my rotator cup in a five-year span. And Yikes. I just like <laughs> kept falling apart. God decided you were not built to be a professional athlete. Uh, huh? No, that was just, <laughs> I didn't have the makeup to make that happen. Well, it's amazing how much even just pitching has changed. I mean, I, I went to coach one of my kids' practices a few years ago, and I, I reached like junior or high school, you know, level of baseball. <laughs> And, you know, it was like if you had a fastball and a changeup, you were the man. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's like you got to have like five pitches, you know. It's like it was a totally different game. I was oh, out of my man. league. I remember uh, I did – I gave pitching lessons when I got done playing in Houston, Texas. And uh, uh, Beckett, who was a first-round pick, uh, first overall pick out of high school. Lefty, threw, wasn't he? A righty, threw 99 okay. out of high school. And I looked at his record. He was like 10-2. and two. I'm like, how could a kid in high school throw a 99 yeah. lose two games? It was Unreal. just guys are button line drives. Yeah, I, guess. Exactly. I don't know what was happening there. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, it got to be a support, but yeah. But it's okay. Yeah, from there, how did you end up doing the ministry you're doing now? Yeah, good question. So while I was with uh, the organization, my first spring training, some of the guys that I knew were like, "Hey, there's a Bible study going on. Uh, you should go to it." And I was like, "Yeah." So I got in there and. Unlimited Potential Incorporated. So the guy that was leading it worked for UPI at the time. And uh, the first study that I'm at, I literally, uh, they were like, does anybody have anything they'd like to add or open up with and discuss? And I'm a first-year minor league player in a room full of major league players. And I raised my hand. I was like, do I just come up front? How does this work? And so the guy just rolled with it. Yeah, of course, come up front. So I just started sharing my story and spilling some of the crud I was going through. And everyone's laughing and rolling. It was about some girls I was dating that was oh, no. jacked up. And uh, and right away, they just took me under their wing. And oh, so that cool. guy just started discipling me. I ended up going to Ireland on a mission trip with UPI. And that's one of the things we do. We take players mm, and cool. do food. They play baseball in Ireland. Well, they just – so they had – when when baseball became an Olympic sport, the Irish were like, let's give it a shot. <laughs> it was so funny. I mean, one of the best stories is we have – they don't have a guy that can pitch to throw a strike. So one of our guys is pitching. Then their catcher, the first ball hits oh, the catcher no. in the mask. Oh, the next no. one hits him in the shoulder. And then he's like, time out. He goes, I thought you were a professional. How come you can't hit my mitt? <laughs> I was like, dude, you got to move your mitt to catch the ball. No, <laughs> <So> <laughs> it was classic. There's so many stories like that. It was pretty funny. Did you, did you grow up following Christ? Or was it at this moment, at this when you stood up in this group, that kind of began your journey with God? No, I didn't grow up knowing Jesus. Uh, when I was 11, I got invited to a church camp by a buddy of mine, and my parents were like, yeah, let's get you out of the house. And so I didn't even know I was at a church camp until the last day. Mm-hmm. And the counselor was like, if anyone asks Jesus into your heart, pray a prayer with me. I was like, who's Jesus? I clearly was not paying attention. And so he shared that with me, and I was like, I prayed with him. I went home, and my mom had a children's Bible because we moved a ton as a kid, and one of the houses we lived in was a church that was converted into a house. Mm-hmm. And my mom wanted to like, let's get a Bible in here. So she bought a children's Bible, read that to us once. So then I asked her that, read that every night before I went to bed for mm. the next three years of my life. So that was my introduction to That's God. Amazing. Yeah. My parents owned some restaurants and uh, I worked in it when I wasn't 
uh, it's a funny story because three weeks into my marriage, or I told my wife, I'm like, listen, I've been washing dishes since I'm nine. I'm done washing dishes. Oh, I bet that. How'd that go oh, over? Yeah, I, I seriously didn't wash a dish for like two hours. <laughs> <laughs> that long? Yeah, I was like, this isn't going to work. That was stupid. Uh, but uh, yeah, but man, just as a, a crazy change of events of my own journey, that uh, uh, one of the cooks there, she was 23. I was 13 at the time. She was married with a couple of kids and, and we ended up in a hotel room. And it took me a long time to recognize what actually happened because my limited understanding of reading the Bible is that I thought I'd committed adultery. But now having kids that are 16, 14, 12, I'm like, holy cow, that's not at all what had happened. I was molested, but I didn't. Mm. So I carried this like massive amount of shame because I thought God was absolutely through with me. So everything became about sports for my identity. Mm. But every time I would lose, which wasn't that often, I felt like, especially in high school, I felt like I'd let the whole world down. Mm, yeah. And I was a mess. And uh, so going to college, I had that same mindset. And then I tore my ACL. I got involved in gambling, got suspended by the NCAA because uh, we were betting on our basketball team. And, mm. and then the girl I was dating broke up with me. And so it was just this mess of things that was going on. And I found myself at a bar. I was drinking a lot. And uh, I met a girl from England. And... Um, so we end up hooking up. My protection broke, and I called my sister, who is five years older than me, and I just said, all right, here's what's going down in my life. Everything's a mess. I can't play baseball. I'm out for a year. This just happened. The girl I really like, it's over. And she's like, you need to just turn to Jesus. Hmm. And I was like, he doesn't want someone like me. She's like, no, that's not true. And so that was in April of 1993. And a cool story was I went up, and uh, after that, I— Started reading my Bible. A week later, I go and pick up this girl from uh, from England, and she was nannying in Louisville at the time. And I bought a Bible and a pregnancy test, which is not your typical evangelistic wow, tools. what a combo. Yes. And uh, we went to a Taco Bell. She took the test. She wasn't pregnant. And then I shared Jesus with her for two hours. And she's like, what has happened? And I was like, this is what's happened. And then she wrote me a letter two months later saying she was following Jesus. Wow. So it was really kind of cool. I met this girl one night at a bar. We hooked up. Things go awry, and Jesus just changed the course wow. of both of our lives. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that is unbelievable. It's <laughs> cool. great. So how did you end up working with guys here in Phoenix? Yeah, so when I when I was playing baseball, uh, I was going on these trips. I was involved as being discipled by these guys on UPI. And in my heart, I told them, I was like, I want to come on staff with you because these were godly men the endangered species, and I wanted to cling to them. And I didn't care. I, yes, ministry and the ballplayers is awesome, but I just wanted time with them so that mm-hmm. I can learn from them. And so uh, after I got done playing two years later, they brought me on staff. I moved to Warsaw, Indiana, which used to be our headquarters uh, near South Bend, and then uh, moved me to Atlanta where I worked the with the Braves. The other Warsaw. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I worked with the Braves. Uh, one of the guys on staff was mentoring me there. And then the chaplain that was here for the Dimebacks, uh, who was on our staff, was taking a sabbatical. So they moved Kim and I here in 2003, and then I became the full-time chaplain in 2004. That's incredible. How, how did uh, how did UPI start from the very beginning? Yeah, great question. So it uh, so Billy Graham had a crusade in 1980 mm-hmm. in Milwaukee, and uh, he put an ad in a paper needed some some sports ministries Hmm. like is anybody out there that can do an outreach and county stadium which was the brewers old stadium so the founder of our ministry tom roy uh was actually talking to hank aaron and hank aaron said you should go and do this full time 
And so he (laughs) accepted that ad. And then he ended up getting players that he knew because he was a former player with the Yankees and Mm -hmm. the Brewers. And 2,000 people showed up to to this clinic. And then six or 700 people came to know Jesus. And it set the course. And then he ends up getting in. When baseball became an Olympic sport, we got into countries that no missionaries had access mm, into oh, yeah. because they wanted baseball and we were going to come for free and say, we'll, we have professional, the highest levels of players in the, in the world and we'll teach you for free. And so we've been to Iran. We've been, we were in China years ago. We were in Russia when, before it fell. I mean, we got into all kinds of places, been to over 70 countries around the world sharing Jesus now. Wow. And uh, it just started with uh, one man's vision named T. Roy, who's been a huge mentor in my life. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so now, you, how do you meet the guys that you end up in discipleship or mentoring relationships? Yeah, I, I'm, I do chapel. So when I'm with the team, I do the visiting team as well. And then in the fall league, that's, the, that's where they have the best talented players. I, I actually am the chaplain for three of those teams. So I've gotten to know a lot of young players before they make it to the big leagues and just start discipling them at that age. Because you can imagine, get to the big leagues with no foundations because of disaster. And then I do a spring training Bible study. And I have three of them, now two of them. But I would everybody that spring trains in Arizona that, that loves Jesus, I'd have some interaction with. Mm. And they would show up to these studies. And I started just connecting and guys who I would connect deeper with. I was like, hey, man, you want to, have you been discipled? Is that something you're interested in? They're like, yeah, let's do it. Hmm. I think your average guy out there, your average sports fan, I'm just thinking back to myself growing up or the the 20-somethings that were around a lot. They look at the professional athlete and they think, man, these guys are living my dream. (laughs) They've got no problems. They've got no worries. What, what's the reality that that's, you see? Yeah, that's, is, that, is, that, is that reality? That's not reality. It's like the, the thing is, it's like they think that if I can just achieve this. So it starts off as a, as a player. If I could just get drafted, mm-hmm. which is a big deal, right? You're dealing with one Huge. out of 10,000 draft eligible players. And right. then out of the and 100. didn't they kind of uh, shorten the draft or oh, shrink 100%. the draft I don't. Recently? I wouldn't have gotten drafted in this format mm-hmm. uh, with going five rounds. Uh, but think about like. Once you get drafted, out of the 100 kids that get drafted, let's just say, for example, only three of them are getting to the big leagues. Mm. And only one of them, uh, really one of them for sure, he's the first overall pick because the organization looked bad if he doesn't make it. Mm-hmm. So you're really dealing with two guys trying to get into that those spots. And then once you get into the big leagues, your average length of your career in the major leagues is like less than a year, mm. it's so the, especially now with the amount of turnover that's going on. So then it's like when I get to arbitration, once I get there, my life will be good. Then mm-hmm. it's like, oh, well, wait, once I become a free agent, then everything will be good. But 85% of all baseball players are either bankrupt, divorced, or addicted to some drug within three years of being done. Wow. The problems inside the game are astronomical. So if you think divorce rate's bad in, in just normal American culture, add another 25% to that, mm-hmm. and that's what you're dealing with with baseball. So for the majority of these guys, maybe just give us a laundry list. What would you say the average guy, what's his rap sheet of, of his of his life looking like coming in? What dysfunctions does he have? What problems okay, does he have? So at an early age, everyone recognizes that Billy Bob's got unbelievable talent. Mm-hmm. And so he gets held up onto a pedestal. And then as he begins to develop and get more and more talented and, and just using his talent and becoming more and more famous, his circle of people, people want to be in that circle, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But... No one wants to be kicked out of that circle. So everyone's just here to celebrate you. The problem is that they're stunting his growth. No one's going to confront him. No Nobody's one's going to confront him. him, right? 
And so baseball players, as a result, are little boys playing a men's game. Mm. And but they but baseball stunts their growth as men because everything's done for them. Everything is done for them. And uh, and so then the women oftentimes kind of fall victim into this, their wives. Listen, we don't want to bring up any problems. We gotta just mm-hmm. brush it off because dad's gotta to play today or he's gotta have a good game. We gotta just it's his day, you know, and everything gets centered and focused around the guys. And when the world starts spinning around you, you're going to lose touch with reality really fast. And so when you're out of the game and people don't care as much about you, that's when the crud hits the fan. So are these guys, do you see a trend of, you know, it follows this progression that you're talking about. And then at a certain point, you're like, this is where the guy breaks down. This is where he's open to God. This is where he's open to me mentoring and discipling him. When do you know that's coming? You know, a lot of times guys are just looking for help just for their career. And those guys, they're coming at Jesus with the wrong angle. Uh, Get a little Jesus and the the RBIs go up, the batting average goes up. Yeah, they'll bring their bats into chapel. You know, it's just... it's Get get some holy water on the bat. (laughs) Help me out, you know. Uh, uh, So the guys that have that mentality, then it takes a lot longer for them to really come to a place of brokenness. Uh, But the other players, like, like... uh, Nick Ahmed, who's the shortstop for the Dimebacks, he came to know Jesus in Double A. He was in June batting like, I think he was batting 125, and he was playing every day. So it wasn't like he was just getting. He's an unbelievable fielder. He's got mm-hmm. two Gold Gloves now, but he walks. That out. That was his legit average. He yeah, was getting. That his was chances. his legit average. <laughs> yeah. And then he walks out in the fifth inning. He doesn't take any ground balls after he just punched out for like whatever times in a row, looks out into the outfield because the manager at the time, Andy Green, was talking to him about Jesus and encouraged him, and and he just gave his life to Jesus in the middle of that game. And he's like, I can't take it anymore. And we see, you know, his life. He's leading the Bible studies now and Mm -hmm. and on the road and uh, and at home. And uh, as I can't be in the clubhouse because of the COVID stuff, he's been a guy that's just leading it and doing a great Mm job. That's amazing. I know I heard a pastor say one time that guys are most open to change, a change toward Christ, et cetera, in times of transition and tragedy. That would add up for a lot of these guys, yeah. I mm-hmm. would think. Yeah, for sure. What are they drawn to in you? Why, why do you think they stick with you? You're going to stick with them, obviously, but what are they drawn to in you? You know, one of the things that I, uh, that I do, I'm very vulnerable and I think a lot of guys were, it's a funny story, Paul Goldschmidt, his wife is a believer at the time, and he grew up, uh, his dad was Jewish, his mom was Catholic, so he grew up a skeptic. And uh, he, uh, Ian Kennedy at the time was on the team, and he kept encouraging Paul, hey, you need to come to off-season Bible study. You need to come. And he's like, I don't want to come. And Amy's finally like, we're going. So he shows up. <laughs> He's, he's very quiet, reserved, and but he tells you what he's thinking. And after the study was over, he came up and shook my hand. He goes, that was nothing like I thought it was going to be. I'll be here next Monday. Boom. Nice. And that just started just because he what had What do you this, think he was thinking? What, what do you think he was expecting? I think he was expecting like what he had built in his image of what a churchgoer was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was a realness and there's an authenticity about me and a vulnerability that he just found very attractive. And I think that's probably what's been similar to a lot of guys. That's a huge point. I'm learning from that right there. It's like Mm -hmm. the more I can lead with authenticity, transparency, leading with your own failures. Many guys have said my greatest failures, even embarrassing ones, the things I'm most ashamed of become my greatest ministry. What you're saying right there makes total sense Mm -hmm. to me, but it doesn't make sense in the flesh necessarily. No, Mm -hmm. no. So 
That's good, man. Well, speaking of, speaking of that, I was going to say, how does, do you feel like your experience in college, kind of the breakdown you had, how do you feel that equipped you to meet these guys where they're at, whether they're wherever, whatever level they're at, do you see that same behavior in them of, Hey, this is all I have. I have to succeed here. Yeah. You know, the, the, the game is, it's cruel mm-hmm. and, and guys try to, to marry the game, but it doesn't mm-hmm. treat them well. And and so when you think about baseball is built on failure, right? Whoever fails the best yeah. is going to go into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So guys that don't know how to deal with failure, especially a lot of times they've come up through their whole career and they get to the big leagues and now they're experiencing failure for the first time, uh, it really throws them for a loop and they don't know how to navigate through that stuff. So I just, you know, I've talked about because I've gone through failure in the game as well. And I think just having played professionally gives me a little bit more of street cred. Mm-hmm. Uh, with guys to be able to sit and say, all right, what do you see? What are you seeing? What are you thinking? You know, and just having conversations. And I really try to help them out mentally uh, because when you know who you are in Christ, you're absolutely free. Hmm. And you really should be, you should dominate, I feel like, in that capacity, right? I don't have to worry about my future. Jesus says, don't worry about that stuff. Birds don't have storehouses or storage units, right? Just go out there and play. Mm. Use your opportunity to advance the kingdom. And just trying to encourage guys to do that is really key. Well, I think that's awesome. And uh, just expand on that a little bit. So if guys are living for feeling like they can't fail, feeling like they have to succeed, how do we deal with that pressure? Just as a godly man, what do we do when we fail? Where do we find that actual fulfillment and that confidence? Yeah, I think when guys are failing and they feel beat up for the media or they they stand in front of 50,000 people and then their batting average is up on the screen and it's just demoralizing. I hadn't even thought of that, just yeah. the aspect of public failure. Yeah, and now with social media, it's just so right. intensified. And a lot of players are actually not on social media just because of that mm-hmm. reason. I've got to stay away. So them going home with their families uh, helps kind of deal with some of that mm-hmm. failure. Uh, just because then the kids don't care, you know, and uh, people are going to love them that they surround. But what ends up happening is they have a very small circle of people that they let in. Mm. And so a lot of players are put up walls. And I talk to them about, hey, walls are terrible. Mm. Boundaries are totally acceptable, but not walls. And uh, so try to help them to navigate through that uh, because guys have been get hurt. They don't mm. want to get hurt again. They don't want to be used because they can sniff out an angle and a heartbeat if somebody's coming at them for uh, just a a poor motive. That's so good, man. I want to back up just a little bit. You said something earlier that took me back to high school sports. I I ran across a Bible study. I didn't grow up in church. Um, I had an African-American woman basically pray me into a relationship with God. Unbelievable story. Uh, I'll I'll be thanking God for her for all eternity. (laughs) But once I started following Christ, I was a high school, you know, insecure, average athlete kid. But I came across a Bible study called Total Release. I haven't been able to find it since. Hmm. But basically, the the premise of the Bible study was you'll find your highest performance when you care the least Mm -hmm. because you're already accepted in Christ. And what you said earlier reminded me of that. How does that actually play out for a guy? It doesn't make mathematical, psychological, any kind of sports sense whatsoever. How does that actually play out? You know, the thing I've been chewing on a lot this 2020 crazy year that we're in is that I don't want my contentment to be uh, met through my circumstances. Mm, That's good. So because a lot of times we do, we try to control our circumstances and we think that when our circumstances are perfectly where we want them to be, then contentment is birthed. 
But the problem is the circumstances can't satisfy us like we thought they could. Mm -hmm. And so we feel betrayed by them. So we're constantly trying to reevaluate and try to do other things to kind of create these circumstances. But the reality is, is that in Christ, uh, it says, I can do all things, right? Mm -hmm. So Paul's not interested in whether or not you can hit a home run or dunk a basketball. That's not what he thought that verse would probably be used for. <laughs> but it's like that he learned contentment in Jesus mm -hmm. in every circumstance. So when I'm content in Jesus, the circumstances are whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm not attached to them. I'm not finding my worth or my value in those circumstances. So when that's happening, I don't have to look to my performance for validation. I put in the work. I trust the, I trust the system that I put in place. I trust the staff that's helped me to navigate. And I'm going up there just trying to square up the ball or make the right pitch at the right time. And, uh, and if I do, great. And if I don't, you know what? It's not because I didn't work hard. It just didn't go my way. But guys that are living and dying by every at bat, it mm -hmm. just is crippling to watch it happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so good. I think every fraternity guy who's looking for that exec position needs to hear that. I think every guy who's chasing the 4.0 so he can get that job or whatever mm -hmm. needs to hear that because it's the same situation. It's yeah. all our hearts don't want to, especially as men, we never want to feel like we're not enough. Like we can't handle the pressure. We can't cut it. It's a kind of inbred into us. And so I think if we can have that attitude, like Paul, like. The Bible commands us to have of, hey, my, my identity is in God. My identity is in who Jesus says I am. Then it changes the whole game. Game changer. Yeah. And redefining success. I, my mind jumps to Zach Ertz a few years ago. Mm -hmm. The Eagles are going into the Super Bowl. He's got, you know, he's got money. He's got fame already. He's got a chance to win the Super Bowl and the press wants to know what's on his mind. And yeah. he says, what's on my mind is making disciples. That was so, <laughs> so, cool. so cool. I'm like, wait, what? Did yeah. I, I, rewind that. I don't yeah. think I heard that right. I think he just mm. said making dollars, right? No, he said making <laughs> disciples. What? Mm. But the freedom you can play with when you have an audience of one mm -hmm. that, man, I'm playing for God. He has already accepted me 2,000 years ago at the cross. That's got to be a tough sell for some of these guys initially, I would think. Right, because they don't want – because the mindset in the game is that you're soft if you're a follower of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I encourage the guys, that should be the furthest thing that anybody comes out of your mouth. I've got a great story of a guy. Uh, he's a manager now of a team, but he, he was doing a Bible study in the morning during spring training like at 5.30, and the manager – saw that he was in there with some of the players and called him into his office afterwards and said, what are you doing with those guys? He's like, well, I'm teaching them about Jesus. Listen, this is my clubhouse. You don't come in here and bring that crud in here. And he goes, listen, I, I know this is your clubhouse. I should have asked you first. I won't bring them in here, but I need you to know I'm going to be meeting with them. Those guys need Jesus. I'm going to give them Jesus. Let's go. And he goes, well, these players are weak. And he's like, listen, if you see that in me, if you see that in me as a player, then I want you to call me out in that moment, yell hypocrite and fire me. And I pray that I never play again. So if you see that in me, you let me know. And he said, That's unreal. he goes, all right, all right, hang on a second. Listen, I want you to do these studies in the clubhouse. It's totally fine. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, I love awesome. that story. And that guy's legitimately like was one of the toughest guys in the game. That's awesome. It, that is fun. kind of sad though, because I think that is a common, I don't know if it's a, a conception or a misconception. Yeah that the the Christian man is a weak man. The godly mm -hmm. man is not a weak man. Because he doesn't doesn't slam stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, he doesn't care. And that's what's being perceived. So Goldschmidt used to get that all the time because he, he just he was so detached from mm -hmm. his performance mm -hmm. and that he was such a perfectionist with his craft and his job that if he got beat, he got beat. Mm -hmm. And if he hit it, he hit it. But he didn't show anybody up. He just did his job. And because he was on a slump and nobody, he's like, he doesn't care because he's not slamming his bat. 
He's like, that's not my personality. That's not how I'm wired, and nor do I. But I do care. I'm putting in the time. Yeah, there's he that was putting in the time. Yeah, yeah. there's that conception that hey, if you don't rage when something bad happens to you, you're not a real man. Yeah, you're you know you're a sissy boy. Yeah, which is just totally wrong. And I think part of that is because well, actually, here's here's a question. I'll I'll lead with this. Who are these guys' heroes? The guy the guys that you meet on these teams. Who are their heroes? Yeah, good question. I think for you know it just depends upon some of the guys, but just a lot of the. I haven't asked that question actually to them to, to ever figure that out. I probably should. I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. Well, I guess my point there is that I think these guys who say, oh, well, if you're a Christian, the only Christians they know were their grandma. Mm-hmm. Only Christians they know were the, the, the girl who went to their high school who wore a jean skirt or something like that. Yeah. They, don't, they don't have a godly example of a godly man who is tough and does stand up in yeah, the face of true. hardship because it is, like we talk about, it's an endangered species. They don't, there's no example. How could they know yeah. that a godly man can exist and be tough and be hard and be all these things that they desire to be and still love Jesus? Yeah, that's good. Well, we're coming to the end of our time, but I'm already kicking myself for not booking you for another <laughs> podcast, Brian, already. Thanks so much for being with us, bud. Yeah, that was fun. I appreciate this. This is mm-hmm. exciting what you guys are doing. Uh, you, you are part of an endangered species, my man. You are a godly man, and we want to see you and your ilk proliferate. <laughs> <laughs> for the kingdom. Yes. For the kingdom. That's right. Thanks for being here, bud. Yeah, thanks for having I really us. appreciate it. A big thank you to our producer, Logan Bonjean, and my co-host, Dave Matthews. This is your host, Shawnee V. Until next time, here's to embracing the noble masculinity that is godly manhood. A big thank you to our producer, Logan Bonjean, and my co-host for this episode, Dave Matthews. As you go about the rest of your day, please remember that becoming a godly man is a matter of choice, not chance. Go out today and make the choice to take steps toward noble manhood. Let's get the godly man off the endangered species list. And if you like the pod, subscribe on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you take your podcasts. And one more thing, help us reach more aspiring men. Share this episode with two or three guys you think it could benefit. We'll see you guys next time.